I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. To explore strange new worlds. To seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no man has gone before. Others lock up your sons. The fangirls are busting out all over. It's Fangirl Radio. Fangirl Radio. the fangirls on jackalope radio hey everybody and welcome to the latest and greatest episode of the fangirl radio show and i'm your host jessica wire and with me tonight are two of my co-hostess with the mostess i called you a co-hostess eric smith (laughs) (laughs) just don't call me late for the show it's true he is always on time and miss sarah bach hello and uh, this episode, I am so excited because our special interview guest is Terry Marcel, who is the director of one of the greatest fantasy films of the 80s. It was actually the first fantasy film of the 80s and was the uh, champion uh, lead of all of the ones that came after it, like The Sword and the Sorcerer and Legend. And that is Hawk the Slayer. So, so so good and even if you <laughs> don't know just if, like amazing like it, who would want to see that you haven't seen it <laughs> i haven't but i want to so if you have watched the the series space that simon Pegg starred in they talk a little bit about hawk the slayer and there was a fight between bilbo and his father about that film um, and it's it's just an epic, epic movie. I love it so much. It's it's wonderfully 80s, and there's so many good actors and actresses in it. You can't go wrong with Jack Palance. Well, Jack Palance is just not – and I found out in this interview, it's it's so great with Terry. We ended up talking for about a half an hour about this um, – about the original film and – the new sequel that he's working on that this is about it's a kickstarter there's going to be a kickstarter starting on august 30th that you will be able to contribute to and we want this film made because what's going to happen is if this film makes it and it's the the original hawk the slayer is still topping the charts like selling out everywhere it's still on sale in every country of the world and it's been it was released in 1980 so this movie has a following that is huge. So if this, when the sequel is made, it needs to be a success because they taught, they are going to make a TV series in England. I love Kickstarter. Yeah, I'm just excited. <laughs> I'm so excited. Um, but yeah, the original film had some amazing cast members. And if you haven't seen it, you really should. I think someone actually uploaded it on YouTube. So you can watch it on YouTube if you are so inclined. Or you can buy it because, as I said, it's still available. And in the UK, it was released on Blu-ray just recently. Um, but the, it was the first like uh, starring starring role for John Terry, who you will know as Jack's dad in Lost. And he is also on The Last Ship, I believe. 
Um, and as Eric said, Jack Palance is in it as Volton, the evil, evil man. <laughs> Bernard Breslau is in it. Um, w. Morgan Shepard, father of Mark, is in it as well. Patricia Quinn from Rocky Horror. Shane Bryant, who is still going strong. Uh, just an excellent cast. Roy Kinnear and Patrick McGee. Just so many good actors. And uh, it, it's just a great interview because Terry is so passionate about it. He remembers all this stuff. So that's it. The, uh, the second half of the show is all, just nothing but Terry Marcel talking about Hawk the Slayer and the upcoming Kickstarter. So I'm very excited. I, as I tell, I, as I tell him in the interview, there was a point in my life where I watched Hawk the Slayer. I think once a week. I don't know. I was five when it was made, and I think I started watching it when I was seven. So, ha ha ha. Nice. I loved Hawk the Slayer. It's a sick. <laughs> um, so, moving on to the weekend geek, and the first thing I want to um, actually bring up before we get into our TV recap is we have. Um, the comic book industry, the sci-fi industry, um, the entertainment industry lost a lovely, lovely lady um, just the other day. And it's very sad. And that is Yvonne Craig uh, passed away at 78. And if you are not familiar with her name, I am sure you will recognize her as Batgirl from the Adam West 1960s series. Ah. I know. Don't start, Sarah. Don't, don't, don't start crying. There's not, no, we're not going to cry this time. Um, we're not going to do it. Gail Simone had us crying earlier um, with a... Quietly um, in the corner. <laughs> um, not crying. Not Just, crying. You know, no. Like rocking back and forth. Um, Gail Simone wrote a beautiful piece that's on uh, Playboy.com about um, how influential Yvonne Craig was in her life. And in the life of every, like, it, you would not have the the smart, I don't think, I, I really do think that thanks to her, you have these smart female characters represented now. She she was one of those uh, leads that, that started that. Um, she was just a beautiful woman, very, very talented Um she made that outfit look amazing. <laughs> Sorry. She just was gorgeous. And as Batgirl, she just kicked so much butt. She came in on the last season of the series and stole everybody's hearts. And um, not only that, but she is always going to be an icon in the world of sci-fi because she is the original Orion slave girl. <laughs> I mean, come on, who doesn't? Uh, you know, if I would put the never diminished either. She she was strong. She was going to kill Captain Kirk. She's going to kill Captain. She almost does it. Like wonderful woman. And um, you know, she was in like The Man from Uncle, Fantasy Island, just a ton of 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 television work. She was just an amazing lady. And it's just a sad loss because I, to me, and I, I was talking to a friend of mine online that, about this, to me, she is either Batgirl or the, the, the Orion slave girl, Martha, um, in Star Trek. I mean, especially as Batgirl, though, is as iconic as any of, of your ladies of uh, pop culture, such as Elvira, Betty Page, um, you know, Vampira, that image of her with the red hair and the purple suit and the yellow cape, 
that is that's Batgirl. You know that she is the one that really brought that to life. So it's a it's a loss to comic book fans and and genre fans and just um, it's very sad. But she she left a great body of work behind. I wanted to make sure to mention that. And if you get a chance, um, and you're not Sarah, where you won't ball your eyes out while you're reading it, or me, um, go check out Playboy.com's Gail Simone piece because it is a lovely um, write up. I couldn't if do it. Anybody any- asks you, you, just say, "I'm reading it for the articles." <laughs> it's on Playboy.com. You don't have to buy the book. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't do that. Um, so let's go to our TV recap. And first off, as usual, we are going to talk about Hannibal. And, uh, oh man, that episode was, I was on the edge of my seat because you can't go by the books with Hannibal because it's not the same at all. There's so many differences that they're doing. Um, and this episode... I have been the last few episodes pretty impressed with their like nearly shot for shot remake of some of the scenes though. They're doing they're doing a good job with yeah. keeping some of that. I really like the interplay in this episode with Hannibal gets sort of his comeuppance for for helping the Red Dragon and uh, that scene with him and Alana was great where she just looks at him and just goes take the toilet too. <laughs> you know. I like like, and then uh, Q Caleb saying that's not how you remove a toilet. That's never how toilets work. <laughs> <laughs> Which is true. It's like because they just like it's hilarious. Oh God, loved it because they're like they like fumble with this silver toilet on the wall, like trying to get their fingers behind it. They're like, oh, oh what's a toilet? I don't. What, what is this sci-fi stuff? <laughs> <laughs> I don't well, know how to remove a toy. She told us to took the toilet. What? We're not plumbers. Well, and the thing that I, but I, the thing that I really enjoyed this one was Molly and um, Walter and that entire scene with Dollar Hyde at the at the cabin. I did not know if they were going to actually kill him or not. I mean, that oh God, I was horrified that whole time. I was like, Oh my God, I'm gonna like. It's freaking out. This is terrifying. Like, because they don't. That doesn't happen. It doesn't happen in the book. They, you know, and and Jack Crawford actually in the films as well gets to them before Dollar High does. They they completely skip the entire bit of of his address being given to him. um, uh, Will's address being given via a an ad in the paper. Lecter just basically tells him how to find it, and and he goes. And it's it's a great scene. I love Molly in that too because she's smart. She is so smart. Like that's the first time I've ever seen the car alarm used correctly. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> really well done. It it is. Um, yeah. I I loved it. I loved the entire interplay between uh, Francis and um, I, I'm going to call her. Flipping, God, it's not. It's 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 not. She's not Tara. I need to stop calling her Tara. But I love that whole scene with him finally letting her go because he knows he's going to kill her if he doesn't. Um, I I really just uh, Richard Armitage needs to be nominated for an Emmy. 
I love his portrayal that much. He's just stealing this. Um, so yeah, Hannibal was amazing. This and and now we've only got I think two left, and I'm very sad about that because by the end of this month, Hannibal's going to be done. I am sad about that because it's so it's such a bold show. It saddens me that we can't have that kind of thing on television. That said, I'm really happy with it. Like I will go and get the collector's edition Blu-ray of all three seasons that will come out and I will cherish it forever and I'll be able to rewatch it. I know. And it's, it's like a piece of art. Every episode yeah. is, is like a, is looking at a painting and all of his series, like at a certain point, I'm almost glad that like dead like me didn't get another season because I rewatched that constantly because it never got a chance to be terrible. So it's such a beautiful piece of art that I will forever tell everyone to watch it and I will own it probably like at least two times. I'm hopeful that they actually do the Pushing Daisies musical that they're talking about. (laughs) I I really want that. I mean, I mean, the poor man has a terrible track record with longevity. But his stuff is so beautiful. Amazing. So it's not really, it's like, he keeps creating new things that are amazing, which is much more a credit to him than, you know, like, oh, I've got this thing and it's been on for 20 years and it's just kind of a television staple now and we coast by because he's constantly coming up with these, like, inventive, beautiful new ideas and it's amazing. I mean... Well, and I'm I'm actually very excited for American Gods. I think um, that's one that will not die quickly. I with with the power of him and Neil Gaiman combined, oh, with their powers combined, they can be <laughs> American Voltron. Yes, yeah. Wonder <laughs> Twin powers activate. I seriously one of is... a full season. Yay! Is <laughs> a um pairing made in heaven really because their aesthetics are so similar oh yeah no it's it's so. gonna be phenomenal i'm just i'm oh my god and if they get momoa 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 <sighs> momoa momoa okay. i'm gonna start grunting like a caveman <laughs> give me momoa <laughs> oh my gosh so um also this this weekend we had another episode of the strain and oh my god shit went down <laughs> oh my god yeah, so I much to catch on that. like that is on the top of my list because i'm like i need some vampires in my life right now oh god well we've got the new um the new episode had um we find out for sure that um that is who we thought it was in the at the finale of the last episode it is our our guy that is going to come and fight the masters and uh in the we find out that F's buddy can actually do things for him in Washington. Uh, so he actually makes progress, lots and lots of progress with getting the, the the agent distributed and killing off vampires. But then bad things happen with F. And it's not not good at all. Um, he uh, People die. A lot of people died this episode. Like, Thank God. No, I'm just I just, I'm not caught up with it, so I couldn't really honestly say that. I just felt like... Oh, no, no. It's There's a lot of people died this episode. And people that I wasn't... I was I was sort of shocked by how sudden it happened, you know? Um, 
but uh, Quinlan shows up, and it is Quinlan for sure now. Everybody knows it is him. And he, we see him talking to Doug Jones, yay, and the rest of the um, the immortals, and he's asking them him them to provide him with a crew of human fighters, which you know where that's going to lead. But it was interesting because he um, he kind of cast he chastises all of them, and you find out just how old he is because he's just telling off all the ancients. Like, wow, and I told you we should have took care of him long ago. And you find out, too, that he trained the team that we were mourning the loss of previously. He was the guy that trained that team. And uh, Quinlan's just going to be awesome. I have a good feeling about his character. But he wasn't in it very long. Uh, the most, the majority of the episode focused on F and his time in Washington. And it's, And then on top of that, the other main thing was... Uh, Nora and F's son were trapped in a church with mommy and the spider kids. Oh, God, those things are just terrifying. Um, attacking them. So they almost they almost get her son back, and that's not good. Uh, it was I a great episode. I'm playing this like, weird, truncated version of the show in my head right now. So <laughs> for a while, so I'm like, Kelly, they call it. They call them the feelers. It, they're really, really disturbing characters. And so Kelly and the feelers, which sounds like a, a pop team, you know, pop the band. Feelers, like yeah, a pop band on South Park. Maybe. Kelly and the feelers, I here to kill you. I them. used to watch that cartoon. South Park. I know. I know. It's no, like Kelly I, and the feelers. <laughs> um, but it's it was um, a great episode and. Uh, uh, God, it, like I said, F real, uh, finally realized kind of towards the end exactly how powerful the Stoneheart group is because bad things happen. I'm not going to spoil any more of it for you. Um, just bad things. Poor F. Um, but the uh, everything else in this episode was so great. And then, yeah, a, um, a big, big thing happens at the end of the episode, which I was waiting for. And I'm just going to warn you guys there's more worm puking and that's all i'll Yay. say yeah worm no! <laughs> yeah worm puking such a great episode uh it's really this oh. this season is great um there's still quite a few episodes left too there's like five episodes left this season um actually six episodes um and so we got the stream through september the end of september which is great Another show that you should be watching that I'm finally, I think, getting the, the gang here to tune into because you can watch it for free. Even if you don't have cable, um, you can be caught up, is Rick and Morty. And uh, Rick and Morty has just, this season has been so great. I thought the first season was great. This second season, once again. The season left me bawling. And, and I'll be honest, <laughs> I, I haven't been able to watch this season yet because lack of cable and craziness and so many shows to watch that I'm drowning but um it's definitely on the top of my list for <clears throat> acquiring so <laughs> acquiring but you can go on adultswim.com and watch um the first three episodes of season one without having any cable access and you can watch the 
first episode of this season as well as the latest episode. So you can stay up to date on, on them. Um, but this episode was called Total Rickall. And it, <laughs> it was another one of these um, very, very dark episodes. Basically what happens is the family is infected with parasites that um, pose as your, the goofiest characters you can imagine. Like there's one that's a Mr. Belvedere type. And, and, and they make you remember them in your head so you don't know that they're not real and they kind of spread that way and so rick realizes that they're in the house so everyone gets locked into the house well every time there's like a flashback that's how they create another parasite and so it just that's how it spreads so flashbacks create more and more and more (laughs) and so they're just ridiculous characters too like um princess unicorn flutterfly and ghost in a jar so they're just really strange it's awesome this episode's great um but what's horrible about the episode of course because there has to be some i don't know what is up with with dan Harmon right now he's just out to like rip your heart out and stomp on it he always is like like it's definitely dan Harmon's bag oh totally and <laughs> and by the way keith david is in an episode of this in this in this episode as well so that you have another community kind of touch yeah i don't know if i can get through an episode of community or an episode of rick and morty without like kind of shedding a tear like, well call me a crybaby but like geez those get me well here's here's what's gonna make you realize jesus christ this is so emo the way you figure out who is real and who isn't is that you look into your brain, you, you search back into your memories, and if all you have are good memories of that person, then they're a parasite. So it's autobiographical. Yeah, so if you realize that I don't have a bad memory of this person, like, and and you know, and if you have horrible memories, then you know that person's real, so you don't kill them. But that's like, I love that he's really pushed this, um, especially with Rick and Morty, pushed the envelope, and he did it with Community too, but Rick and Morty, for some reason with animation, you can be so much more upfront about things. And people get way less upset. Like, if it's real people, people get real upset about Rick and Morty. But oh, God, yes. <laughs> it's an animated cartoon. People are like, oh, it's a cartoon. Who cares? No, he sneaks so much subversive stuff into this yeah, show. It's awesome. It's the same with, like, BoJack Horseman that we're finally making shows. Uh, writers are producing things that encourage us to not be this packaged television person you know like this person who's like oh i have to strive to be cheerful all the time i have to be a good person and kind of like getting at the truth of humanity and i just love it well and that's kind of why i'm bummed about i i posted a um a piece on fangirl magazine um about this the final episode of of aqua teen hunger force is airing this weekend the final one still going on oh my god just going on. it has it has been going on since um, 2005, I want to say, but the fact is, it was earlier than that. I think uh, it may have been. It may have been. Um, more, but this, so it's very likely that it started in 2003. Well, it's the longest running Adult Swim cartoon. It has. It, it's the longest running one. But the thing that's sad is, it's still funny. It's still awesome. It's still garnering um, major views on on 
television and it's garnering a lot of money and for whatever reason Adult Swim decided to axe it and there's a great interview that I linked to with Vice where they're talking to the creators of it and they're just as flummoxed as anyone else they're like we don't know why they just axed us so the final episode of Aqua Teen Hunger Force one of the most bizarre and awesome 11 minutes of your life every week is ending um, this weekend we'll miss you Meatwad uh, I'm going to miss Carl. And uh, just so you know, according to IMDb, the original release date was December 30th, 2000. Two th- oh my God, it's been 15 years? That's what IMDb says. Wowza. So take that for, you know, what it's worth. That's insane. And plus, you know, they have... Uh, On order. We're coming for you. <laughs> yeah, no so, um, and FYI, don't forget, this weekend is the premiere of Fear the Walking Dead. We'll finally be able to talk about the pilot yeah. without me getting in trouble. <laughs> I, I'm excited for it. I'm disappointed in the trailers. They can't give you away too much. And, and like I said in my review, it's a slow burn. So it's not going to be immediate and... Because zombies trailers, it just seems like everything happens so quickly that I'm like, hmm. no, we're just not, no, not, not, not quickly, like, no quick. It seems <laughs> like the way they compose the trailer, I'm like, oh, this is for a video game, right? Nope. Oh God, no, no, it is such a slow burn, but it's it's done well. But, well, but The Walking Dead is a slow burn. That's, well, that's I think about. Well, The Walking Dead, it kind of just, in my eyes, it The Walking Dead started. Like, he woke up zombies, you know, and in this, you get a build to it, and that's what's different about it. So you're going to be, I think, surprised. I, I know what you're saying about the trailers. That That's, dis, that is deceptive. It's fun, but, like, something I would want to pay 350 for to spend an hour watching, you know, like, it's. It it's, looks fun, but not interesting. It's it's going to be an interesting show, and I really enjoyed the the two. I like the slow burn aspect. Um, but once episode two hits, things get going. So it's and it's a, like I said, it's a different kind of horror. I'm sad that they said it. Well, L.A. is fun, but I'm sad that they did not take my advice and said it somewhere snowy. Because because I said on the show a while back, I'm like, well, my only. My only use in, like, a survival situation would be to, like, knit clothes for people. <laughs> so, like, What's her use? I, I can love, make clothing. <laughs> I would love to see some snow, you know? Like, let's go somewhere cold where there's an entirely different set of survival skills that need to be, you know, employed. But, you know. I think, I think in that case your only survival skill is waiting for the zombies to freeze yeah or let them freeze to the ground and then you can run by them and cut them up survival of like you know they they're desperately always trying to find water in uh georgia like you know up where it's snowing they've got an abundance of water but it would be more like sanitizing it how are they getting food you know it's just i don't know maybe i'm just a nerd like that i'm just like ooh. How do they survive modern technologies and comforts? Because <laughs> they have Daryl Dixon. Well, well, 
If that you're is, in a snowy area, you just go Donner party. Well, yeah, it's true. That's yeah, how you well, survive. That, that's what the, well, that's what the, they did. <laughs> They've already done that. Tainted meat. Already did it. Tainted meat. Um, so into Weekend Geek and Doctor Who news. Hold on. Hold on. Before we get away from TV. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I'm surprised you didn't mention this. Eric's For all those some- people... Well, it's just for all those people that are missing James Spader, uh, Blacklist Season 2 came out on Blu-ray and DVD. Oh, but I've caught up on Blacklist Season 2. And you need to be, and you guys need to be caught up on it, too, because it's good. Not just for you. I'm letting people know. I'm letting the <laughs> populace know, in case they don't, that it's out there now. So, have you guys watched it? Nope. Oh, <laughs> useless. I swear to God. Yeah, now, well- Jessica, have you been watching Late Night Restaurant on Hulu? No. That's what I thought. So you know what? I'm I'm Does I, it have James Spader in it? No. It's, it's, <laughs> there you go. it's a Korean drama. Oh god. It's based on a manga from Japan that has had like two shows and a movie made on it about it. Like it's a restaurant that's only open from like Midnight to 7 a.m. or something. Like, it's adorable, but you know, Korean. Well, James Spader. <laughs> I'll, I'll, win, I'll win that argument. <laughs> like, they are some hot people. Well, I, I, I totally, totally love Blacklist. I bought the comics. The comics are out now, they're great. And um, if you have not watched it, the first season's on Netflix. You can marathon the entire first season, and since the second season just came out, it'll probably be added pretty soon. And it's, I was surprised, because I was going to knock, I, I actually was like, ah, God, it's a Science of Lambs ripoff, look at him, he's in a room. No, completely different, really good, great guest stars. All right, well, that was my public service announcement. Thank you, Eric. Please carry on. <laughs> So um, the episode details and all kinds of information are just starting to roll out about the new season of Doctor Who. And there's a couple of bits that I wanted to make sure um, we talked about really quickly. And the first is the first time ever in the series they are going to do a single character episode with no other cast members, only Peter Capaldi. That sounds so interesting, and I can't wait to see what they do. I That's know. really good, because I've been saying that they have not written material good enough for Peter Capaldi. So this is, there's two, th- this is the one part of my, my I gotta share this, because I know this season's going to destroy me. Um, this is the first part, the first part of the two-part season finale, the first part is this episode. Nothing but Capaldi. And um, Rachel, Rachel Talalay is back to, to direct it. And she is saying it's one of the most complicated and different episodes that I've ever done. And Stephen Moffat has said it's a ludicrous challenge that he <laughs> wrote this. It was, it's crazy. So, I mean, it's, it's a lot of weight on the shoulders of the lead actor to do something like this. But I am just excited as hell. And it's kind of a flip because usually what they'll do is they'll do an episode where there's no doctor at all. And so this time it's a flip. It's just the doctor. And I'm, I'm okay with Peter Capaldi being on my screen for like 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I think that 
considering the companions we've had recently, this is going to be a very welcome change. I think so, too. I think that's kind of the consensus. You notice, too, because I'm rewatching season eight since it went back up on Hulu. You notice, too, that it's implied that the doctor spends a lot of time away from his companions. Yeah, and there's a reason. Oh, wait. I'm not being... I'm being mean. Um, Because she hits him constantly in the face, and it's not okay. Meanness aside and Clara aside, the doctor is becoming more and more of kind of a solitary creature who comes and visits sometimes because... Ever since Rose, it's been the constant companion. Well, they and I, I think, um, I think Clara this. Well, it, they, what they have said is this season they are making him far more amiable and close and and friendly with Clara. And Clara is sort of, um, from what I've gathered, she's like, no, I'm going to enjoy this now. I'm going to be all about traveling the universe with this hot silver fox in this TARDIS, and. Um, I don't yeah. want him to be amiable. I, I, want, I want him to him, be crotchety too. I want I, him to not. I want him to think she's an old lady because <laughs> he just doesn't that. know or care how old she <laughs> is. I love that so much. <laughs> um, the other thing, really quickly, because I, I know we're running out of time. Um, uh, we got to get to our interview. Is the fact that um, one episode, the season, because Mark Gatiss always writes really great very horror-centric episodes for this show. So Mark Gatiss's episode this season is apparently an entirely done via found footage. Found footage and cell phone footage episode. Now you don't groan because this is Gatiss. This is Footage. This is Gatiss, and Gatiss knows how to do good stuff, and he wouldn't never, be... Never watches found footage that I like. This is going, and, and this is the one that um, is the one that's starring Reese Shearsmith in it, and he looks very, very Time Lord in the outfit that he's wearing. So I'm curious how that's going to play. Um, they're actually talking about doing something, maybe just starting the episode, not even having an intro, just starting it without anyone knowing that it's Doctor Who. Uh, so I'm, I'm really, uh, I'm really excited. I, I, I want to see what Mark Gatiss does with a, a found footage uh, type I of. I love Maisley Williams, and I'm really excited to see what she is this season. That's like my big thing. Oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm curious, and there's some reason to believe. And now. I think it may have been because David Tennant was on the set, but um, Georgia Moffat was photographed with Peter Capaldi on the set. So mm-hmm. there's, yeah. And um, so yeah, uh, the other thing, well, they could be bringing back Jenny. Macy Williams could be Jenny. Because, no. because Sarah or uh, Susan <laughs> has to have a mom. No. Yeah, she does. She's his granddaughter. No. No. What do you have against Georgia Moffat? Well, nothing really, but I don't want to see some dumb callback again. They're relying far too heavily on that, and it's just getting it's getting tiring. I want to see something exciting and new. Well, here's here's what is going to kill me. And That's the love boat. Yeah, no, no doubt. She's just broken to song. The thing that I find 
really interesting that they're talking about the rumor, which is going to really destroy me, is that they're saying the the finale is going to take place on Gallifrey, but it's going to be a dead Gallifrey, and they have to go into this. This is a rumor, so take this as you will. But there's supposedly like catacombs underneath Gallifrey that are guarded by dead and lost Time Lords. And that is where they're talking about the Doctor runs into ten. He runs into eight. And um, who knows who else down there. So that's mm. where they're going to be able to bring back David Tennant. That's why Paul McGann's been mentioned. And uh, I'm, I, I'm just going to ball my eyes out. They're talking about, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's going to be, it's going to just be very, very bad for Jessica that day. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of stuff coming out about Doctor Who. So if you don't want to get spoiled by things that could possibly be true, don't read anything. But there's tons of stuff leaking out well, now. How can you be spoiled by things that could possibly be? Because typically they're true. <laughs> I feel like if there's, I feel like if, like, you're that, like, that upset about spoilers, you should probably live in a cave. Yeah, it's... You, like, find a nice cave, settle in. Yeah, it's it's not gonna. There's nothing else that can happen now. I mean, you're 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 gonna you're gonna read something. It's just gonna happen. Um, so really quickly, two more pit, bits of information. Actually, we'll do three. Um, the Star Wars Battlefront game. I'm not buying it, and the reason is they don't have a single player campaign on it, and I find that just stupid. That's the Ugh. stupidest decision they could have ever made because that requires you. You have to have an internet connection to play it then. Well, can you play can you play locally then? Um possibly, but you're going that means you're going to have to have uh, buddies with you that do it. But as far well, as I being, being a married human being, I don't think that would be But you that means you'll probably have to do split screen. Yeah, but like I I don't know if I've ever played Battlefront not split screen. Like it's one of those things where like I only ever played it with other people, so I'm not too upset about it. Am I going to wait till it goes on sale now? Yeah, I'm not going to spend that much money for a game I have to play with other people. Well, I, I all I know is a ton of people have said they're not even going to buy it now because of this. Because if you don't have an internet connection that's viable or usable all the time, and you just don't want to deal with assholes that are hacking the system, what are you going to do? You can't play it. I don't like, yeah, I don't like online gaming, so. Yeah, see, it's not even the fact about whether or not I have an internet connection. I'm just not a social person. Yeah, well, I'm I don't not, like dealing I'm with not a it. social yeah. gamer. Because you and know the minute this comes out, the hackers are going to hit it. I, well, sure, things have changed a lot, but when I was younger, it was like I had to put up with so much, like, really crude, really awful things said to me because I was a girl playing a game that like I just like I was just like you know this isn't for me and I still I'm like I don't want to do it well and the other thing but there's some good news we'll, we'll do some good news the good news is the most awesome one of the most awesome horror movies of the last last year to me at least what we <laughs> do in the shadows is getting a sequel with the werewolves so werewolves we the they weren't my favorite part of the movie but I know it's going to be good because... It's Murray! It's Murray from Flight of the Concord is a werewolf! It's 
so good. Plus, you know, werewolves are intrinsically yeah. better than vampires. Hey, we're not where we're not werewolves. We're werewolves. I love that line. <laughs> um, and really quickly, because I know this is just going to make Sarah jump up and make noises that that will probably break glass. This weekend, John Stewart is hosting SummerSlam. <laughs> There you go. How's that? <laughs> oh my God. I can't wait. Yeah. There's so many pieces now. It's amazing. Uh, I'm so excited. <laughs> I find it amusing that this tiny, tiny man oh. standing next to these. Diamonds. Have you, did you see the, um, the raw where him and Seth Rollins fought? Yes, I did. Yeah. And, and okay. I loved how quick he was. I was like, jeez, look at him going. Oh, my God. So amazing. Oh, I love Jon Stewart. I love WWE. I'm excited. There's rumors that Seth Rollins is going to take both titles. That will be interesting. Like, like so, which would be leading up to him really, like, losing them both big time, which is, you know, we all hope for that. But <laughs> it's storyline. He's a very sweet person, like, absolutely. But, you know, like, I couldn't. I still, I was still in shock about how quickly John Stewart slid under those ropes and moved. Man, he moved. Oh I, was, gosh, I know he's amazing. <laughs> Come here, John Stewart. Let's see yeah. how fast you are. <laughs> uh, I just want to put him in my pocket and keep him safe. I totally you know. Would. Who else has a match at SummerSlam, right? Who else? Because this is Mel. Who is it? The Green Arrow. <gasps> That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's gonna be. Such a huge event. Sarah's just freaking out. I can tell. Oh my god. (laughs) So um with that awesome bit of news, um, we're gonna go into our interview with Terry Marcel. Um, I really, really enjoyed this. I love talking to him. I could listen to him talk about the we this is such a great interview. I'm just gonna let it go because we'd go over so much of the history of the of the movie, how it came to be. It's just awesome, and um, I can't wait for the Kickstarter to start. It's going to go live August 30th, and you need to donate towards this because it has to happen. We need this because if this works out, we get a TV series. TV series. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much, and here comes Terry Marcel. Everyone, I would love to uh, welcome to Fangirl Radio Terry Marcel, who is the director of one of the classic, um, most amazing science fiction fantasy epics of the last, I mean, it, it started the genre itself, Hawk the Slayer. Uh, thank you, Terry, for coming on the show. Thank you, Jessica. I'm delighted to be here. Um, so if you have not seen Hawk the Slayer, Hawk the Slayer um, was released in 1980, and it basically was the the opening gate of every sci- uh, fantasy. I keep saying sci-fi. There is some sci-fi elements, but fantasy epics of the 80s, um, all that came after it sort of followed its stead with uh, films like Krull and uh, Legend, uh, which actually co-starred some uh, of the actors from from Hawk the Slayer. That's correct, yes. Um, and so you have Hawk the Slayer and Terry to thank for for all of those films. I, I firmly believe that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm just going to jump in because I have a ton of questions. And how this interview came about was is 
very awesome to me. Um, one of our contributors on Fangirl Magazine, uh, Jay Fountain, uh, he reviews numerous films and he wrote a great, great review um, and write-up for Hawk, Hawk the Slayer. And Terry and his crew saw it and asked if we'd like to interview him and, because... I, I, I guess they were very happy with what we had to say about the film. And thank you for, for coming on. Well, as I said, we're absolutely delighted. And, you know, any questions that you want to throw at me, I'm ready for them. Yes. All righty. So I'm going to start with a pretty easy one because oh, it may not be so easy because uh, you're going to have to pick a few things. What started your love of sci-fi and fantasy? Because you, you're, your repertoire is huge um, in that genre, in those genres, especially fantasy. What what started your love of the affair with it? Amazing Stories. It was a magazine that was very difficult to get when I was a young man in the UK. But I'd, uh, I, I, I remember getting a very small uh, uh, amount of them, bought them secondhand, um, and I was a very young man, started reading them, and man, was I into it. And the moment I started reading stuff from uh, Robert E. Howard, and then later on Fritz Lieber, I was hooked. Nice. And so uh, what, what, what led to you uh, becoming a director and writer in, in, in the entertainment industry with those genres? What, what was the first job that you had that led to this? The very first job I had was as a male boy at Pinewood Studios. Oh, my gosh. In England, yeah. I started there in 1960 and worked through all the grades, you know, male boy, runner, third assistant, second assistant, first assistant. And then I was very fortunate as a first assistant to work with some of the great directors like Blake Edwards. I did the Pink Panthers. I was a first assistant to Sam Peckinpah, who did Straw Dogs and... Uh, 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 Richard Fleischer, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. So I was very lucky to work with some really great directors. Oh, my gosh. And and so did you, were you picking their brains as you were working with them on these things? Because, I, I mean, I would have just been, like Blake Edwards, I would have kind of fell in worship at his feet. Um, uh, well, the trouble <laughs> with Blake was you were laughing so much most of the time that you didn't have time to pick his <laughs> But in fact... Yeah, I think subconsciously you take it all in. But as a first, you're more concerned with getting your particular job done and making sure that it all flows very well. But you pick up things and you begin to learn. And uh, it's a lot different from going from first assistant to direct. And I can tell you, because my first job, I had to shoot um, a full-length movie in uh, 10 days. So <laughs> it wasn't easy. <laughs> wow. Well, and... So kind of, I want to I want to talk about Hawk the Slayer, of course, because I know we're um, we want to talk about the Kickstarter as well, because yep. the sequel is happening, which I am stoked about. Uh, but one thing um, I wanted to ask you was the the kind of and, and Jay had actually brought this up. You shot Hawk the Slayer at kind of like a spaghetti western in a way, and it really right. works in the to the movie's benefit. Was that a conscious decision when you were storyboarding or did you just sort of organically go and, and go for that sort of uh, actually, method? No, actually it was, uh, I was uh, copying someone I, I consider to be one of the greatest directors we've ever encountered and that was uh, Kurosawa. I'd seen Ojimbo and uh, I don't know if you know the movie but uh -huh. it's, uh, it's a classic. I'd seen that and I'd seen the way he'd uh, shot it and the way he prepared his 
actors and his shots. And I thought, my God, this is fantastic. And then, of course, that was turned into a fistful of dollars. Mm -hmm. So my original thoughts on the project were that we were going to, it was going to be a knight coming back from the Crusades and going through the same sort of storyline. But that changed uh, once I got into the script. So how did it become what it was? Because it, it sort of, it, it follows that, I don't want to say Wizard of Oz, but he gathers up these these characters and then they all come together. And that sort of has been done since in many films. But mm. uh, I, I really loved how it worked for this and you got introduced to each character. Yeah, I think, the, I mean, the thing was that it, I didn't set out to write a sort of sorcery story, to be quite honest. I you know, my partner at that time was a guy called Harry Robertson, and uh, I discussed it with him. And I said that uh, I was going off to Spain for a few weeks, and uh, I would come back with a, a rough, rough, rough script. And mm -hmm. when I got to Spain, sat down, tried to write it. One of the problems I had was I had this warrior called Hawk, and I had the sword on his back, and for the life of me, I couldn't work out how he could pull that sword from his back. It was almost impossible. And it, I was sitting there one day thinking, how am I going to get this sword into his hand? And suddenly I thought, I know, I'll make it a magic sword. <laughs> yeah. And from that moment, it became a sword and sorcery show. And it, it just it, it, it just naturally flowed. I mean, you know, if you've read a lot of classics, uh, sword and sorcery material like, you know, Fritz Lieber and uh, a lot of the others, you know, you know, an elf, a dwarf, a giant and a swordsman. They're, once you've got those in place, it just came automatically. I, I mean, the story just flowed out. That's hilarious. And all, I, that, that's a brilliant way to get, get the problem solved, too. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. So um, one thing I wanted to, to ask you about was the cast, because it, yeah. there was just so many amazing character actors that you had in this. Yeah. Uh, and, and not the least of which was uh, Jack Palance. Absolutely. Uh, firstly, how did you get Jack Palance in this film? You have uh, at least two American actors in there, him, he and John Terry. Yeah. Uh, how did that happen in a, in a room full of, of Brits and, and guys from the UK? Well, very uh, firstly, John Terry, who played Hawk, I'd worked with on a previous movie. We were shooting a, 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 a comedy in um, Florida, and we didn't couldn't bring any more actors in from the UK, and we needed someone to play the the bridegroom. It was called There Goes the Bride, and we were introduced to this uh, good-looking young man who lived in Florida, and I thought, well, he's perfect for the uh, you know the bridegroom, and so I had him in the movie. And and when Hawk was finally financed, I said to the, you know, the financiers and the people who were in charge at uh, uh, to ITC, you know, I'm going to use this guy. And they all went, well, we, you know, he, we don't know him. He hasn't done much. I said, yeah, well, I think you should go with this guy. And they said, well, we'll send him into the office in L.A. and we'll see what they think of him. Well, of course, when he walked into the office, most of the women swooned and he got the job, imme got the job immediately. And then, of course, we thought, well, we've got to find... We'd always thought of Jack Palance for Voltaire. I, he, we just both loved him. We'd seen him in several films. We loved him in Shane. And we just thought, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could get him? And our casting director says, well, I'll try. Uh, he said, send... We, they contacted him. He said, send me the script. He read the script. He says, I'm in. I want to come to England. I want to do this. 
It was as simple as that. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so the rest of the cast, though, I, uh, I mean, you have W. Morgan Shepherd. You've, yeah. You've got Patricia Quinn, Ray Charlson, yeah. uh, Bernard Breslau. I mean, they're all staples. I, I, I even in me as a, as a, a you know, a, a girl in the in the U.S., I know these guys. Oh yeah, I, and so how did how did they come to be a part of it? Because I, I always tell people, Morgan Shepherd and his son have managed to be in basically every big fantasy and sci-fi series. <laughs> it's crazy. They've both been in them. <laughs> well, strangely enough, I'd worked with Morgan before because one of the last movies I did as a first assistant was Ridley Scott's first movie, which was called The Duelists. And Morgan was in there as one of the, uh, as a fencing master. And, you know, I just remembered him from that show. And he was my immediate, immediate thought for Ranulph. The others, we just had an extremely good casting person. And we said, you know, what we want to try and do here is get the very best actors. With, we know they're small parts. I mean, take Roy Kinnear, for instance, who played the innkeeper, like three or four lines. And he was magic. Can we get people, can we get the very best people uh, for these parts? And we were very lucky. We just managed to get really great actors for very small parts. And, you know, that's what we intend to do with the sequel as well, to try and get the very best actors to play the smallest parts. That's great. So, and, and also Shane Bryant, who is still phenomenal. In, Active, yes. Oh, my yes, gosh. Yes. Uh, I, I'm a, I'm a, if you can't tell, I love UK actors. I'm, I'm a complete geek comes to that stuff i'm like yeah this guy's right. this and this um so there there's a moment when palance has everyone tied to the pillars and he turns to his men and hisses a dwarf was this scripted or was palance improvising because the reactions from all the guys seem pretty genuine uh, he, no he didn't improvise at all he did exactly what was in the script okay. that was it gotcha yeah. So, and also kind of along those lines, um, part of the, the charm of the movie is the relationship between Gort and Balden. Yes. How much of that was scripted and how much was that the rapport between the two of them? Because they really did play off each other so well. Well, we were very lucky. First of all, we, you know, we, we knew Bernard. Bernard uh, was a very good comedy actor. Uh, he, most of his material was, uh, you know, in the comedy vein. And I'd worked with Peter O'Farrell before, and I knew he was very good at playing the venal little person. Uh, we didn't know whether they would click or not. You know, you never know. But we were very fortunate. They did click. And, uh, you know, they never change the script. The script that, that's all in the script. And, and again, we have a new dwarf and a new goal doing the same thing in the sequel. So... <laughs> I'm hoping you're going to see a lot more of that sort of banter between the two. Awesome. So I, I, I want to ask a few more questions about the, the original film, but God, you're yep. killing me with the new stuff. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, it's all your fault. Uh, so, um, Besides yourself and Harry Robertson, were there any other fans of high fantasy on the set? Did anyone realize what you were mm. doing with creating this? Cause other than like, uh, I can't really think of any other films at, before then that were really this no. specific in that genre. 
Was uh, was there anyone else that was a fan at the time that you know of? Not really. No, I think it was all new to everybody. You know, the fact that we we were the first people to take men out of green tights and put them in what looked like you know far better costumes and <laughs> more practical. <laughs> Exactly. And, you know, to do this sort of uh, thing, it was, uh, you know, no, I, I think it was just Harry and I pressing forward into unknown territory. That's awesome. So, okay. All right. Now I can't take any more. We have to talk about the new, the new film. Yeah. So, okay. What, what, ha- what, why now? Wh- how did it happen to be that you've decided well, to do a sequel now? <laughs> Very simple. It was the fans, really. Over the years, I've been, you know, constantly asked to sign uh, uh, posters, uh, record sleeves, uh, the book. I was been asked to sign that. Uh, uh, lots of inquiries about the sword, and it just went on and on. And working with Andrew, one day he said to me, you know, he said, I, we, "We're getting lots and lots and lots of interest in this. You know, I wish you'd, you'd you know, you could do a sequel." I said, hey, well, "There is a sequel." And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, Harry and I wrote a sequel. You're kidding, he said. I said, yeah. He said, we've got to try and put this together. Well, we went and talked to various people about it. And one of the companies we talked to in the UK, Good Content, said, you know, we think this would make a great television series. So we said, yeah, well, why don't you you go out and, you know, see what people think? Well, they went out and they talked to various people. There was a lot of interest, but basically people were saying, well, look, you know, 35 years later, we want to see something before we commit to it. Well, I thought to myself, well, you know, I had to then go back and create a whole new world. You know, I had to establish where the sword came from, where the stones came from. And so I created a whole television series because I've done a TV series before, as you probably know, called Dark Knight. Right. And I needed to go back and work out how it all worked, then come back to the the, new, the old sequel uh, called Hawk the Hunter and rewrite that. Once we rewritten that, we were we were ready to go. It was just constant pressure from fans, really. Nice. So are you were you surprised how long this has been uh, as the, the long life of this with the fans because absolutely it... stunned <laughs> i mean i was stunned to see a document from uh, the company that now owns it which is granada showing the current sales position of it and it sells in almost every territory in the world every year that's amazing <laughs> amazing to me too <laughs> I, I, I just can't believe it well and i i, I mean how i discovered it in, in the States, because um, I, I was five years old when it was released, and I actually remember watching it about the age of six or seven, I think, was when I first saw it. And huh. I watched it on, on, like, CBS Late Night. They were showing it, and, <laughs> and that's how I caught it the first time. And then every time it was on, um, like, uh, local cable stations would be showing it as well. That's amazing. I, what, what amazes me even more is they just released a Blu-ray of it in the UK, and it sold out in three days. People love it. It's a classic, yeah. and and that's a, <laughs> <laughs> you made this. <laughs> so, kind of, uh, kind of leading into casting of the of the new movie. Are you? Do you have any of the original cast on board? Yes. Who I do, do you want? You have, uh, and it's. 
the killer crow. The kill the crow. Now, would there be a chance? Have you uh, have you reached out to John Terry to see if he would be available to come on? I, I'm afraid John is. Uh, uh, it, it, he couldn't play the uh, the hawk now. I mean, he's too old for that, unfortunately. But and he's on a boat in the middle of the Pacific, so I understand. So he's That's more or less. True. <laughs> so basically, no, it'll be a, a new team, a new hawk, a new gault, a new bald, uh, a new dwarf. Uh, a new female who will be in it as well, a female lead, and um, the usual team. What, what What's going to happen with Ray Charleston, who played Crow, is he? there's a sequence in it where the new Crow comes across an old elf being killed. And the old elf is Ray, and his character is called Bowman. But in fact, Bowman becomes a very important character in the series if the series goes ahead. So... There's a long-term position for Ray Chelson in this series. Nice. That's good. So would you, uh, would you, I, I almost hesitate to ask this because this happened in Doctor Who. Would you bring in, like, say, Mark Shepard to play the son of Ranulf? <laughs> well, yeah, it's a good idea. I hadn't thought about that. Because I, he, they played the same character in Doctor Who, and I just... I, I always love that when I see, because um, I keep, I'm campaigning for like Sean Pertwee to come on Doctor Who as the third Doctor. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I would love to see him in that just as an homage to his father. Yeah, that's a good idea. I'll put it down. Yay. <laughs> um, so what can you tell us about the story? Because it sounds like, is it going to be a reboot or is it going to be a continuation of any kind? It's a continuation. What I can tell you is that it's uh, very, it's uh, the whole series now has evolved around the stone, the mind stone itself, where they came from. There are three stones, how they got here, who brought them here. I can tell you that Voltan is brought back from the, from being dead by the wizards who are in fact elves. They also have one of the stones, which has uh, turned them into quite nasty people. And the, they have discovered that prior to the mind sword, there was another sword. It's called the Dark Sword, Ooh. created by a, a, a troll called Morgish Gothchar. And he's realized it was, you know, a dark and evil thing and hid it away so nobody could find it. The wizards have tracked it down and they send Voltan after it because they believe that once they get the Dark Sword, they can destroy Hulk and take the mind sword from him. So it's a chase. Our team against Voltan's team. And he's uh, going to be surrounded by these bone men, these creatures that will be his uh, army. And Hulk will go after him with his team. So it's another chase and action movie. Oh, my God. I want to see it now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like leaning down like, yeah, go on. Go on. <laughs> And that's as far as I'm going. <laughs> so who would you, I mean, if you had your druthers, who would you cast as Voltan? Because Jack Palance is some big uh, shoes to fill. That's the big question. And it's, uh, it, it's uh, let's say there are names in the hat, but what we don't want to do is we don't want to talk about any actors until we know the money's in place because it's, only becomes a disappointment to them. I mean, Ray Charlson is different because he's been on board all the time with us, helping us put this together. So we we don't really want to, you know, give any names until we know we're financed. 
then we'll let everybody know. But we have some very good ideas on uh, Voltan. It makes me happy that he's he's going to be in it, though. Voltan is there. So kind of kind of leading into that, talking about Voltan, it sounds like uh, is there a larger amount of material about how Voltan's evil came to be and, and, and yep. where he got the power from? Is that going to be talked about in the, the new film? No, not in, not in this sequel. Um, that, that's, all, that's all been developed for the TV series. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, I had to do a, you know, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I had to do a whole rewrite of where, <clears throat> how Voltan and his brother came to where they were, uh, how Gulp met Hawk, how the crow became involved, and all these, the part of the, the team that uh, Hawk summons in uh, Hawk the Slayer, I needed to do the backstories on them so that I could get to the end of the, you know, of the whole arc. So, yeah, that's all there now. And that will, if we go to series, that will all be revealed and lots more. That's awesome. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> I, the, 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 I'm just giddy like the little the little girl in me that watched this so so much growing up is just like freaking out right now um so Terry thank you I know I've kept you for a very long time but I could hear listen to you talk about this for hours um I'm just so excited about this and uh so the kickstarter campaign goes live when on on the 30th I'm at we're we're at um at um the big festival here uh, on the 30th. Mm -hmm. um, it goes live then. Um, I, I understand there's going to be a showing of the movie at Dragon Con in the US. Nice. And uh, I've done an interview with them and uh, they're delighted. They're as excited as everybody else. Uh, so come the 30th, we're alive. Go to Kickstarter and you will see a really fantastic presentation. I saw it today down at Rebellion, who are our partners on this, and I was amazed. You see some drawings of Voltan and uh, Hawk. Stunning. Absolutely stunning. I can't tell you, Jessica, how great they are. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited about it. Uh, <laughs> I, I really am. And we'll post links to all of this on fangirlmag.com as well. So um, please support this so we can see this stuff come to life. That's great. Well, listen, anything we can do, any uh, any information you need, please let us know because we are, you know, we love all this material going out. Oh, you got it. Thank you again, Terry, so much. And uh, uh, once again, we will post links to the Kickstarter campaign once it goes live and it will be live on the 30th. And if you are at Dragon Con here in the States, in Atlanta, go watch this on a big screen with a bunch of fans because Hawk the Slayer is a classic. and it's the best way to see it is on a big screen with a bunch of fellow geeks. I mean, seriously, that's the best way to watch this movie. <laughs> Jessica, thank you very much indeed. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much, sir. And, and thank you for bringing this back.